All right. Good evening, everyone. Is this on? Yeah. Am I okay? Yeah. Good. All right. Good evening, everyone. Let us let us begin. So, first of all, I apologize for the lack of consistency over the last number of weeks, but hopefully, Mir Hashem, at least for the next two weeks, we're consistent. All right. Which is uh, small victories. So, I'd like to Mir Hashem continue in our journey in Sefer Tehillim, and of course, as we try to do with each year, try to weave it in a little bit into the Parsha as well. So I want to pick up actually with what I think is a, a fascinating and really riveting capital, which is capital Mem Aleph. I also recognize that we're going... You can't... You can't yeah. No? Sorry, I don't... Uh... Better? Excellent. So we're going to continue, Mir Hashem, on, uh, on capital Mem Aleph. And in capital Mem Aleph... David HaMelech really highlights an incredible, incredible idea. David HaMelech writes in number one, So the truth is, we're going to spend tonight, we're actually really just going to focus on one piece of this capital. Just one small piece. And then Amir Hashem in coming weeks, because this is going to be the capital we're going to sink our teeth into. So, So again, whenever we see this introduction, we already have an understanding as to what David HaMelech is talking about. To the conductor of the Levitic choir. Remember again, as we've mentioned many times, David HaMelech wanted more than anything to be able to build the Beis HaMikdash. He was unable to do so for a variety of reasons. So he did the next best thing, or the two next best things. Number one, he bought the property, the real estate upon which the Beis HaMikdash would be built. And number two, he composed the music which would be sung by the Levitic choir in the Beis HaMikdash. So whenever you see Lam Natsayach, what that tells me is David HaMelech felt that this capital was so important that it should be sung in the Beis HaMikdash by the Levitic choir. Okay, so what's the message? David HaMelech writes, Ashrei maskil eldal biyom Hashem. Literally translated, Praiseworthy is he who looks after the poor. On a day of calamity, the Lord will rescue him. Okay, so on the most basic level, what's the message over here David HaMelech is talking about? Well, it's a message that really one finds throughout the Sefer Tehillim, which is the greatness of the Ribbono Shalom is that his hashkacha, his divine providence, is really felt upon everyone at every time in every place. And therefore this idea of maskil al-dal, praiseworthy, is the one, well Ashrei is praiseworthy, is the one, maskil al-dal, the translation of here is, looks after the poor. The greatness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is that Varachamov al Kolmas of Hashem's compassion applies to everyone. Hashem, right? Rich, poor, successful, unsuccessful, known, unknown. Hagadish Baruch Hu looks after everyone. And Dara Malk goes on, he says, excuse me, literally on a day of calamity, the Lord will rescue him. So this is really all we're going to focus on in this capital tonight. But even when we read the words, okay, we could translate it. In other words, I understand what David HaMelech is trying to convey. What I'm not sure of is what is the deeper message? Because as we've already mentioned many times throughout our journey in Sefer Tehillim, there's the written word, there's what David HaMelech writes, and then of course there's the deeper meaning that David HaMelech is trying to convey. So over here, this concept, this concept ultimately again of the maskil al-dal. So who is this poor person? Who is this individual? Who is this individual who is impoverished? Who is this individual who is compromised? Who is this person ultimately who needs the additional protection and shmira of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Who is it? So I'll just point out something very interesting. The Eben, numbers 2, 3, and 4, the Ebenezra, 
the Malbim in two different sources really all focus on one basic idea. The Ebenezer writes in number two, Lamatzeach Ashrei Maskil Zeha Mizmor Al Choyo. David HaMelech composed this capital in the aftermath of his illness. In the aftermath of sickness. Aftermath of sickness. So what's interesting to note is as follows. So what sickness is this referring to? So the Malbim in number three writes as follows. Mizmor Zeh, once again, Yasod Be'es Choyo. David HaMelech composed this capital when he was ill. Va'ayvav Ratsu Az Lahamisa Vesahamavis. Now when David HaMelech was ill, his enemies tried to take advantage of his compromised state and dethrone him. Ubikesh Shiyoshiyu Hashem, and he requested from HaKadosh Baruch Hu a special divine assistance. V'yisaper gamkein hashkachas Hashem achoch fefes aladal ve'enonim. And therefore this capital is really focused on the fact that Hashem pays special attention sometimes to those who are unable to advocate for themselves. To those who are unable to look out for themselves, to those who are unable to care for themselves, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives a special level of attentiveness to those individuals. What illness of Davar Melech are we referring to? So if you take a look at number four, one more Malbim. The Malbim says, he says, Mizmor zemer zeh husad becholoso machalo anusha vimei machlio, mechalio, vizeh haya achar maased bat sheva, shetala hacholi bechetov. So remember again, if we take a step a little back, remember we've seen already that the episode of Bathsheba was a pivotal moment in David HaMelech's life, right? It set David HaMelech's life on a totally different trajectory. Well, in the aftermath of the sin of Bathsheba, or the episode of Bathsheba, there were three, three fallouts, three fallouts, sorry, three repercussions, right? Number one, number one, the baby that David HaMelech had with Bathsheba died. Baby died in infancy. Number two, David HaMelech was told that there would be a rebellion from within his home. That's the rebellion of Avshalom. And number three, David HaMelech became ill. Deathly ill. Deathly ill. Now, the illness doesn't happen immediately. After his illness takes place a little bit later on. But whenever you see David HaMelech making reference to illness, it's always the illness that he suffered in the aftermath of the episode of Bathsheba. That's, that's, that's the only illness we find referenced ultimately in Sefer Tehillim. So what's fascinating over here is as follows. According to the Mepharshim so far that we've seen in verses 2 through 4, Ashrei maskil eldal biyom ro'a yimalteo Hashem. Praiseworthy is the one who looks after the poor. On a day of calamity, the, war, the Lord will rescue him. Who is the dal? Who is the poor person being referred to in this capital? David HaMelech. David HaMelech. Why is he calling himself poor? He will call it his health impoverished, right? When a person is ill, when a person is ill, they are impoverished from health, right? I don't, I don't have my health when I'm ill. So the poor person that David HaMelech is referring to over here is none other than himself. Remember, we've spoken about it many times. David HaMelech had every single form of adversity in life with one exception, which was money. money. Baruch Hashem, David HaMelech never struggled financially, right? He came from a well-to-do family. He became the king. So he had many resources at his disposal, Baruch Hashem, that's the one thing he, didn't, he never had to deal with. Everything else he had to deal with. Every other life problem, every other life challenge, name it, David HaMelech had it. David HaMelech had it. So what's interesting to note over here is, David HaMelech, when he refers to the Dal, so he sounds like, who is he praying? Who is he praising? Who is he praising? Hashem, right? What is he praising Hashem for? 
for looking after him when he was impoverished, when he was ill, when he could not fend for himself, when he could not look out for himself, when he could not advocate for himself. Ultimately, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was there for him. And by the way, even if we just were to stop here, you begin to understand why David Amalek felt that this was such an important capital that it had to be included you know, within the organization or in the organized Shira of the Levian. Because what is David Amalek saying? One of the most important theological messages for us to internalize is that there are times in life when we cannot help ourselves. It happens to all of us. Sometimes it's because of illness. Sometimes it's just because I find myself in a situation that I do not know how to deal with or I do not know how to navigate. And there is nothing worse in life than feeling helpless. You know, it's always interesting. What do people do in life when they feel helpless? Right? Davin, it's always a good answer, right? Beautiful, right? right what else do they do? Give up. Give up, good. So I'll tell you something interesting that I've seen many times with situations of people when they deal with helpless situations is when you lose control, when you lose control, you try to grab back control in the most interesting of areas, right? So it could very well be that a person whose life is, is falling apart for a variety they're going to clean their house 15 times a day, right? I'm going to make sure that everything is in order. I mean, there's people that do that anyway. Right? I'm, saying, right? I'm going to make sure that everything's, why? Because again, there's no order, right? I feel like there's no order in my life. So I'm going to grab back that control. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's just an interesting thing. The one thing we cannot handle is when I don't feel in control. So David HaMelech, and this is what's so beautiful about Sefer Tehillim, is... Sometimes it's also okay to embrace the reality that I'm not in control. To make myself vulnerable enough to say, I am not in control. Now, it doesn't mean that you yield responsibility for your life. It doesn't mean that you yield the reins of your existence. But there are times in life where a person has to say, I'm not in control. I've done what I can do. I have a circumstance, I have a situation, I simply cannot move it any further than it currently is. So what do you do in that moment? And David Amalek tells us, you know what you do? Ashrei maskil eldal. You give praise to the one who looks out for the poor person. Because what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do, quote unquote, for the poor person? When things look worst, and you feel most powerless, that is often exactly the moment where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is stepping in, often in ways I don't even realize, and already helping to, to put together some type of salvation. Is already helping to choreograph some type of salvational moment or dynamic for me. And that's what David HaMelech, it's incredible, it's incredible. See, the greatness of David HaMelech, the real greatness of David HaMelech is his Amuna. You know, and, and when, when is Amuna most important? The truth is, when everything is going well in life, it's very easy to have Amuna. Right? And real Amuna is when things are not going the way I want them to go. So what do you do in those moments? You could give up, you could fall apart, you could daven, but there's something even stronger than davening, which is a recognition that although I am not in control, the Ribono Shal Olam is. I'm not in control, but someone is in control. And it's not just the someone, it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's the message of this capital. Ashrei maskil al-dal, praiseworthy is the HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Praiseworthy is the God 
who looks out for the poor person, when he is most vulnerable, when he is most helpless, that's dafka when HaKadosh Baruch was there. You know, the irony of life, the irony of life is that often when we feel out of control is often when we feel distant from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right, because I'm not happy with how my life is going. I'm, I'm upset that things are not going according to plan. So I feel a distance. The irony is, the less control I have, the more control HaKadosh Baruch Hu is exercising. So in those moments when we are totally out of control, are actually the moments when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Kiviyachol, most in control. The greatness of David HaMelech is that he chapped it, he realized it. And imagine going through life with that realization. Because I know many of us, all of us, have moments when we, love, when we lose control, and the truth, or we perceive we lose control, and we panic, and we get upset, and we become disillusioned, and we feel forsaken, and we feel alone, and we don't understand, we feel like Hashem has given up on us. Then I'll say, just the opposite. You're not in control, that's okay. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. But perhaps this phrase, Maskil El Dal, could also be understood a little bit in a different way, and actually through the lens of this week's parasha. Take a look at number five. I'll show you something really amazing. So in, in Shmos, in Shmos, remember again, just to give you context. So remember again, we know last week's parasha, parasha Shmos, we're introduced to Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu becomes the, un- it's amazing, the story of every great leader of Klal Yisrael is that they were drafted against their will. No one, no one accepted the ranks of leadership willingly, right? We're learning Sefer Tehillim. David Amalek did not want to be the king. You know what David Amalek wanted? David Amalek only wanted one thing in life. What did he want? To be left alone. To be left alone. Like most people that have to deal with difficult personalities in life, David Amalek had many of them in his life. Right? You ever have a day like this? Like, I don't want to talk to anyone. I, was like, I, just want, I, just, I just want quiet. Just want to be left alone. That's all. That's all I want. Quiet. Quiet. David Amalek, David, what do you want out of life? I just want to be left alone. Yet drafted into the surface of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, totally against Israel. Moshe Rabbeinu. If you ask Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, what do you want out of life? Moshe Rabbeinu will tell you, I just want to be left alone. That's all. But Moshe Rabbeinu was drafted into the surface of HaKadosh Baruch Hu by the burning bush, by the snap. So remember again, fast forward a little bit. Moshe Rabbeinu has his debut with Paro, the end of last week's parasha. How did it go? How did it go? Badly, right? Remember again, Moshe Rabbeinu comes, and probably if you're Moshe, you're pretty like excited. You're coming with a script from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. God gave you your speaking points. You come to power, you deliver the whole message, and power responds with two words. Tichbad ha'avoda. If you have time to think about redemption, salvation, freedom, that means you have too much free time on your hands, and therefore, I'm going to make you work harder. Okay, fast forward a little bit more. Beginning of this week's parasha. Moshe Rabbeinu becomes disillusioned with God. He does, and he doesn't understand why HaKadosh Baruch Hu. In fact, what Moshe Rabbeinu essentially asks Hashem is, Tzadik Viralo, why do the righteous suffer? The Jewish people have done nothing wrong. Why are they suffering? Why are they suffering? So Hashem gives him a whole, a whole speech, and then HaKadosh Baruch Hu does something amazing. So this is number five. So now, Hashem says to Moshe, he says, I am Hashem. Now, it is here that Hashem gives Moshe Rabbeinu the redemption speech to give over to Klal Yisrael. Here it is. Here's the drasha, Moshe. Here's the drasha. All you need to do is take it to Mitzrayim, deliver it verbatim. That's your job. 
Here's the speech. And remember, what's the speech comprised of? If you take a look, actually it starts in Pasuk Vav. Source number five, Pasuk Vav, verse six. Lachain, emor libnei Yisrael, ani Hashem. Therefore say to Chal Yisrael the following. Number one, I am God. I will take you out from underneath the burdens of Egypt. I will save you from the work. And I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm. I'll take you to me as a nation. And I'll bring you to Eretz Yisrael. Sounds familiar? These are the four expressions of Geula. It's actually the five expressions of redemption. Right? Five expressions of redemption. Votsesi, I will take you out. Vetsalti, I will save you. Vigaalti, I will redeem you. Velakhti, I will take you. And Vevesi, I will bring you to Eretz Yisrael. So remember again, we know these are significant. Why? What do these correspond to? Pesach. Right? The four cups of wine that we have at the Seder correspond to the four expressions of Gula. The last expression, Vevesi, I will bring you to Eretz Yisrael we understand, refers to messianic redemption. That's how you do have a fifth cup. We call the fifth cup, Koshi Elio, which we don't drink. It's there. It's there. It's on the table. We're watching it. We're looking at it. We're excited one day to drink it. But right now, again, it's just there waiting for us, much like messianic redemption. So this is the drasha. So this is the drasha. So now, Baruch says, here's the drasha. Go and give it to Klal Yisrael. So if I were to ask you, if you're Moshe Rabbeinu, how are you feeling right now? How are you feeling right now? Right? I would say like, pretty confident. Right? I don't know. If I got up on Shabbos morning and a Kodesh Baruch wrote my drasha, right, I'd be very excited about it. I'm like, this, this is going to be a home run. Right? This, this, this is going to be a good one. So Moshe Rabbeinu literally has the drasha from a Kodesh Baruch Hu. And again, one would assume, one would assume that again, he's confident in the ability for his words to make an impact. What happens? Take a look at the end of number five. Pasuk Tes, verse nine. Moshe Rabbeinu delivers the message exactly as HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him to. And no one listened to him. No one listened to him. Now, it's interesting, by the way. means what? How would you translate that? Right? I'm sorry? They... They heard, they didn't hear him. They did not hear Moshe. So what's interesting to note about this is, it's not the pshat that Moshe gave the speech and they said, nah, that's ridiculous. Right? Or no, we disagree. Or what about this, what about that? They didn't even hear it. They, they didn't even hear it. They did not hear what Moshe was saying. Why? Shortness of breath and hard work. So this is dramatic. So you have to understand something. Not only, not only do Moshe's words not make an impact on Klal Yisrael, but they literally don't hear what, right? You ever have a conversation like this? Where you're talking to someone and it's absolutely clear, they do not hear you. But it's, it's a good, it's a good tip. Actually, how do you know when someone doesn't hear you or when someone's no longer listening to you? When you're having a conversation, you have a conversation with someone and like a person adjusts like, like their, their body, like, and like they, they, they push themselves forward like as if to say something or they open their mouth. It's a good, someone taught me this, that once someone is ready to respond, 
that means they're no longer listening to what it is that you have to say. So you're better off, just let the person say what they're gonna say because you could keep talking, but at the end of the day, they are no longer listening. So we've all had conversations like that where somebody's no longer listening. So okay, you're not listening. You're not listening. So Moshe Rabbeinu, again, I just wanna point out, comes with the drusha prepared by the Ribbono Sha'olam Bechvaldo Ba'atzmo, thinking that this is going to be the moment, this is gonna be the turnaround, this is going to be now when everything changes. Reaction? Reaction? None. None. It was as if he wasn't even there. It was as if he didn't even say anything. Absolutely nothing. What happened? So the Pasik itself tells us, kasha. So if you take a look at you skip a little bit to number seven. Skip to number seven. So Rashi says, it's very simple. It's very simple. Rashi says, Kotzerach, we look at the middle of the first line. He says, Mikotzerach, Komishu Meitzar, Ruach Anishimaso Kitsara. So it's interesting. Rashi says, What's Kotzerach? What's shortness of breath? Shortness of breath is the inability. Inability. You know, you, you ever, sometimes a person gets very excited, very emotional. A person's crying, right? What do you need to do to calm yourself? What do you have to do? Take a deep breath. So Rashi says, Kotzerach means. They were unable to inhale deeply. Kalisa was unable to take a deep breath. Why were we unable to take a deep breath? Why? There was kotrak, there was shortness of breath because we were so overwhelmed simply by the barbaric servitude, simply by the slavery, simply because of all of the work. So Rashi says a very simple idea. Klal Yisrael, you know, when, when, when you don't have the ability to take a deep breath and calm yourself and still yourself, you can't listen to anything, right? Again, if I'm all worked up, right, and I'm short of breath, like, I'm just trying, I'm just trying to catch my breath, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to keep my head above water, I, I, I can't hear anything else. So Rashi says, it's not the pshat that they rejected Moshe Rabbeinu's message, they weren't saying, Moshe, we disagree with you. Moshe, we don't like you. Moshe, we don't believe that this is what, that what you're sharing with this word. They're, they're not rejecting the message. They simply what? They simply what? They, they're not able to hear it. But not because they don't believe in Moshe. And not because they don't believe in Hashem. And not because they don't want redemption. They're just simply unable to hear it because they are overwhelmed by their circumstances. The servitude is so overwhelming that they simply cannot hear motion. Now to take this a step further, take a look at number eight. This is actually a profound piece. The Aznaim Latola writes, Rav Soreskin, look what he writes in the, in the right-hand paragraph. This is fantastic. He says, Anoshim seveim ushketim al-shmareim People, he says, Sveim. Sveim means they're satiated. People who have food in their belly, they're right, Ushketim, and their life is pretty tranquil. You could talk to them about deep, intense ideas. Right? So again, if people are satiated and people are in a good mental state, so you could talk to them. And again, they're thoughtful people. You could talk to them about anything and everything. Look what he writes. Aval, anoshim re'evim begam tzimeim, asher nafsham bohem tis'atif mirov avoda, ome'atzar ra'a v'yagom, she'in lehem zman le'echol, 
But people who are tired and who are hungry, people who never know what the next moment is going to bring, people who are slaves and literally again have to live by the whim of the other, they have no bandwidth, no bandwidth for any type of deep or prolonged conversations. Certainly if there's one thing that they can't handle, it's what? Philosophy. Philosophy. In other words, what, what, I just want to point out what Sraskin, what Rav Sraskin is, is highlighting over here. It's such a profound idea. He says, at the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when people are hungry and people are tired and people are stressed and people are uncertain about their future, they are unable to maintain deep conversations. Now Rav Suraskin says, now you understand what happened over here. So skip to the middle of the second paragraph. So now Moshe Rabbeinu comes along, right? And Moshe Rabbeinu comes armed with this deep philosophical message from God. Five different expressions of redemption, each corresponding to a different element of redemption. Now Moshe heard this from God. Now Moshe Rabbeinu was able to absorb the message in its entirety. Do you know why Moshe Rabbeinu was able to absorb the message in its entirety from God? Why? Why? He wasn't a slave. He wasn't a slave. Moshe never worked for one day as a slave in the fields of Egypt. That wasn't his upbringing. He escaped to Midian. He comes back already as the leader of Klal Yisrael. So when Achilash Baruch Hu goes into all of these deep, profound, philosophical meanings of the expressions of redemption, Moshe Rabbeinu is soaking it in because he has the bandwidth. He has the ability to hear it. He goes on, he says, Avala'am, ha'oved avodas parech. So listen to this. This is incredible. What was the mistake here? What was the mistake? Moshe Rabbeinu didn't realize that they were incapable of listening to the complex message that he brought. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu is, or is what Moshe Rabbeinu says, Rav Sraskin, what Moshe Rabbeinu's message should have been to Klal Yisrael was, guys, I got you. It's almost over. It's almost over. That's it. That's it. And what would have happened if he would have said, it's almost over? What would have happened? They would have said, okay, okay, fine. That, that I could absorb. Now, what's interesting about Rav Saratskin's approach is apparently the Ribbono Shalola meant for Moshe to understand that he was to take the message of God and condense it into something more digestible for Klal Yisrael. That seems to go to as Naima Torah is inferring over here. Right? But Moshe Rabbeinu, again, remember, this is also very interesting. Moshe Rabbeinu's entire leadership model is one of scripted leadership. Right? The way Moshe Rabbeinu's, the, the way Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him what to do and how to do it, and it's Moshe's job to execute. The proof to that is, when Moshe Rabbeinu goes off script, really bad things happen, like hitting the rock. Right? That's a paradigmatic example. Paradigmatic example, right? The one time Moshe Rabbeinu goes off script. Now, the truth is, he goes off script, so to speak, also certain times when advocating for Cloud Yisrael, after the Chaita Egel, after the Chaita Maraglim, but leave them on the side. So what's interesting over here is that 
Again, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't do anything wrong. Moshe Rabbeinu got a message from Hashem and assumed that this was the message he was supposed to deliver. The Hazayim Torah says, it's a beautiful message. Too complex. Too complex. Absolutely too complex. Why? Because when people are in a bad spot in life, when they're in a bad spot in life, deep, prolonged conversation never works. By the way, this happens to be an incredible lesson in general in relationship dynamics. I'll paint for you a particular scenario, right? People in a relationship get into a fight. And you could plug this into whatever you want. You could plug it into a marriage. You could plug it into a friendship. You could plug it into children. Plug it into whatever you want. So sometimes, let's say for argument's sake, just for purpose of illustration, I get into a fight with someone who I love very much. And let's say for argument's sake, this never happens, but I'm the person who's wrong. For argument's sake, right? I'm the person who's wrong. I'm avoiding eye contact with my wife, right? When I, right? right? So I, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the person who's wrong. I'm the person who's wrong. So it's interesting. So what happens? So okay, if, if a person is mature enough to recognize, okay, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, so what do I do? I approach the aggrieved party, I apologize. But often an apology is not always by itself enough. There has to be more. So what's interesting, what often happens in relationship dynamics is the wrong party, the wrong party, right? The, 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 we'll call him the chote, right? The, the, the sinner, the sinner, right? Wants to make amends with the victim, and so what ends up happening is like, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. I, I, I want to, and what happens? Sometimes the person who's hurt doesn't want to talk about it. So what often happens in relationships? Then the, then the aggressor becomes upset that the victim doesn't want to talk about it. I, I, but I, I'm apologizing and it's sincere and we should have to resolve this now. But the person who's hurt is like, well, I'm, I'm not ready to talk about it. And the worst thing you could do in relationships is to force a conversation that one of the parties in the relationship is not ready to have. Relationships, or I should say, meaningful conversations in relationships only work when both parties are ready, present, and have the mindfulness to be able to engage. But if someone does not have the bandwidth Someone does not have the mindfulness. Someone does just not have the, the, the attentiveness to be able to engage. It, it's like a bracha levatala. It's totally for naught. And not only that, sometimes it can actually have detrimental effects. The source for that, Moshe Rabbeinu and Klaal Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu's beautiful drasha from the Riban Shalom has absolutely zero impact on Klaal Yisrael. Why? Not because Moshe Rabbeinu didn't deliver it well. Not because it wasn't a beautiful and impactful message, but for one simple reason. They weren't ready to hear it. They weren't ready to hear it. What they needed to hear was a short message. Guys, it's almost over. I love you. I've got you. And it's going to be okay. When? It's still going to be a little while. How? That remains to be determined. But I just want you to know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. That's it. And that, perhaps, could have given the people a little bit of chizik. But you want to get complex. You want to get into philosophy. All these expressions, you lost them. You, you, you lost them right in the beginning of the drasha simply because they were unable. If you want to have a meaningful conversation with someone who you love and you care about, you have to make sure that they are ready 
and present to be able to have that conversation. Otherwise, otherwise, best case scenario is they simply won't hear you. Worst case scenario is the conversation could actually make the dynamic even worse. So over here, Baruch Hashem didn't make things worse. It kind of just fell flat. Now, if you look at number nine, the Meshech Chachma has a little bit of a different approach with this. And this is actually quite amazing. The Meshech Chachma writes, V'adabra Moshe, this is incredible. So the, the Meshech Chachma disagrees a little bit with the Azlai Torah. Listen to this. So the Azlai Torah says that Moshe Rabbeinu already lost them at Vihitzalti. Already in the beginning. Right? When you start getting into expressions of redemption, I don't even know what that means. He lost them. Meshech Chachma says No. They were with Moshe for the first four. Vot Seisi, I'll take you out. Vitzalti, I will save you. Vega'alti, I'll redeem you. Vela'kachti, I'll take you to me as a nation. That they could relate to. That they could relate to. So where did Moshe Rabbeinu lose them, says the Meshachachma? At expression number five. Ve'hevesi. Ve'hevesi. What is ve'hevesi? What does that refer to? I'll bring you to Eretz Yisrael. You'll be a free people, an autonomous people, in a homeland of your own. Says the Meshachachma, it's that point, that, that, it's at that point, or it's on that point, that Moshe Rabbeinu lost them. Why? Listen to what the Meshachachma says. This is incredible. He says, Kiderech kashayom, people who are going through difficult times in life, especially slaves, right? Asher rak kidei lotseis At the end of the day, at the end of the day, when someone is suffering, when someone is suffering, often the only thing they could imagine for themselves is, is not suffering, right? Being removed from suffering. More than that, more than that, they could never imagine. More than, right? So what, what's the Hevesi? So like, like, look at the first four expressions. What's the common amongst all of those things? They all represent a cessation of servitude. A cessation of servitude, servitude, a cessation of suffering. Okay, I can wrap my head around that. Vevesi is a whole new level. You're going to be in Eretz Yisrael, you're going to have your own land, you're going to work with HaKadosh Baruch Hu to become masters of your fate. They hear this, and what happens? They simply can't absorb that. What the, what the, what the Meshach HaKadosh is trying to highlight is something amazing. When a person is suffering, they can't see so far ahead, right? All they could see is what? The next step in front of them. Namely, I could maybe wrap my head around the fact that suffering will stop. I, I remember my grandmother, Zichron of the Racha, you know, she, she was privileged, Baruch Hashem, to see children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Remember, she used to say that, that in Auschwitz, the most she could imagine for herself was like another piece of bread. Like if somebody were to ask, like what, like, like what can you, what, what greatness can you envision for yourself? Right? She would have said, one more ration. One more piece of bread. If somebody would have said to her, and now she's, do you know one day you're going to get married? One day you're going to have children. You're going to have grandchildren. You're going to have great-grandchildren. Right? Would you be able to imagine that? It's just, no. Craziness. Another piece of bread, 
I could wrap my head around. Not the piece of I could wrap my head around. Generations? Not a chance. That's what happened over here. Velo Shamu al Moshe doesn't mean to the whole speech. No. On the first four, Moshe Rabbeinu had them hooked. They were good. They were good. Because why? The first four represent, again, the cessation of suffering. And when a person ultimately is in a compromised situation, I could see the light at the end of this tunnel. I could wrap my head around that. But now you want me to think bigger? You want me to think beyond? You want me to think independence, homeland, all this stuff? No way. I don't even understand the language. It might as well be Chinese. I don't understand what it is that you're saying. I cannot relate to that reality. And says the Meshachma, that's ultimately again where Moshe Rabbeinu lost them. Not on the first four. Not on the first four. It was on number five. And the Meshachma really highlights an incredible, incredible idea. That sometimes what happens in life is we're really unable to see something bigger for ourselves, right? If you think about, like, if somebody were to stop you and to ask you, you know, what's, like, what would be a successful life for you? A successful life for you. So I think for many of us, a successful life is, you know, if I could balance all of my responsibilities of one day, right, and not drop anything, that's successful. Maybe, you know what, if I can get just a little bit more sleep, right, that would be successful. I could spend a little bit more time with my family. Again, we have like little things. But we don't realize is that so often, all we could see is the success that's kind of within arm's reach immediately in front of us. But we don't see the Hevesi success. We don't see our capacity for bigger and better things. We, right, I see my ability to like move the needle of my life a little bit. Right? I see the ability to make things a little bit better. I see the ability to improve a little bit here, a little bit there. I see all of that. And no matter how difficult my circumstances are, I really legitimately see that I have the ability to somehow make it a little bit better. A little bit better. Dramatically better? No. Dramatically different? No. Because we suffer from the same small-mindedness as our ancestors. Our ancestors in Egypt, Moshe Benu comes to them and says, guys, you know it's not just about getting out of Egypt, right? You know that there's something much, much bigger waiting for us on the other side of the Yamsuf, on the other side of the Sinai Desert. You know that there's something much greater waiting for us? And they're like, what are you talking about? I don't understand the language you're speaking. I don't understand the concept that you're advancing. You want to tell me that the taskmaster is going to stop whipping me? Okay, I can wrap my head around that. You want to tell me I'm going to stop being a beast of burden? Wrap my head around that. You want to say that one day a day is going to come where I'm going to be a free person? Wrap my head around that. I can understand all of those things in some way. You're going to tell me that I'm going to be totally free, autonomous, have a land of my own that I'm going to build in partnership with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a society we're going to build together? No, you're not talking. To, I, don't, I can't see that for myself. It's the small-mindedness that is often the greatest challenge of the Jew. I could see a little bit in front of me, a little bit in front of me. It's almost like sometimes there's like this life fog, right? So you ever drive in the fog, so what happens? You know, you could see a little bit in front of you, but you can't see anything in the distance. So often in life we operate in this fog. I could see a little bit ahead of me, 
But I don't see anything greater waiting in the distance. They were unable to listen to Moshe. To what part of Moshe's message? To the big goals, to the big dreams, to the big aspirations. That they couldn't hear. Why? Because the truth is, all I could see is the amelioration or somehow alleviation of my current challenges and difficulties. I don't see anything past that. And perhaps if we loop this back together, perhaps that's what David HaMelech is saying in this capital also as well. Remember again, what did David HaMelech say? Ashrei maskil el dal. So remember again, how did we translate it? Back in number one, how did we translate it? Praiseworthy is the one who looks after the poor. Praiseworthy is one who looks after the poor. So we understood, as the Mepharshim understood, that who is the poor person over here? Well, first, sorry, who is the Asher? Who's the one being praised? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Why is Hashem being praised? Ultimately, because He's looking after the poor. Now again, who's the poor person? Poor person could either literally be someone who is suffering from poverty, or as the Mepharshim explained it, as referring to what? David HaMelech in his illness. But perhaps Dal also means a person who is aspirationally impoverished. There are people that go through life who are aspirational. I, I am impoverished of aspirations, of goals, of dreams. I am poverty stricken when it comes to thinking big. I'm a small minded person. Not a small-minded person that I don't take life seriously. Not a small-minded person that I don't take myself seriously. I do. I do. But like my ancestors in Egypt, when you ask me what I want to accomplish, I assume that my glass ceiling is like, well, I guess here, like, here, right? I, I, I can move myself a little bit forward. I can nudge myself a little bit forward, but not that much. There's not, there's, I, I'm me. This is who I am. I could change the circumstances a little bit. I could deviate a little bit. I could advance a little bit. Something dramatic, not in the cards for me. Not because I don't care, but simply because I don't think it's possible. That's a Tao. A Tao is a person who is aspirationally impoverished, who is dream impoverished, who is goal impoverished. A person is poverty stricken, because they don't really believe in their ability to accomplish anything dramatic. So David HaMelech says something amazing. Ashrei, praiseworthy is the one who looks, or who is, what's the, what was Lashon over here? Who looks after the poor. Now, here's the incredible part. There's only one person, only one entity, who could truly look after your aspirational poverty. And that's who? That's who? So it's always easy to say Hashem. But the truth is, there's someone else it's me. It's me. At the end of what David HaMelech is saying is, Ashrei Maskil El Dao. Praiseworthy is the person who sees his own aspirational poverty and chooses to do something about it. Chooses not to live life with the glass ceiling. Chooses not to live life underperforming. Ashrei, praiseworthy is the person, the individual, Maskil, who looks at his or her own life aspirational poverty and decides to do something about it. We sell ourselves so short. We don't realize that we're capable of doing great things. And by the way, greatness means different things for different people, right? Greatness doesn't have to be something that Art Scroll is going to write a biography about. That's a form of greatness, absolutely. Not all of us have that. 99% of people don't have that. 
But we all have a capacity for greatness to accomplish something that we haven't even thought about being within reach. To change something that we've thought up until this point is simply unchangeable. To develop qualities, strengths, and traits that we think are simply beyond us. To change behaviors that may be ingrained after so many years of living a certain way, but I know is not the right thing to do. David HaMelech says, you have a choice in life. You could live a life of Shamu al Moshem Kasha. Do you know every single day, writes, he says that if you he says something very interesting, he goes to the Zohar that says that sound, sound, right, breaks down into smaller and smaller components. So the Zohar writes that remember Hashem said the first two Dibros, So the Zohar writes that if you listen closely enough, you could hear the voice of God saying, Anochi Hashem If you listen close, you have to be tuned into the right frequency. Right? If Baruch is broadcasting on AM and I'm on FM, right? it's not going to work. But if I tune into it, I, I could hear it. And the lady says, yeah, and, and what? So you could hear it, and, and what? Well, if you could hear HaKadosh Baruch Hu tell you that He's your God, if He's aligning Himself with you, that means you could accomplish anything. That means you could accomplish anything. So you have a choice in life. I could be below Shamu al Moshe I be that kind of person who doesn't listen to Anochi Hashem who doesn't listen to Hashem Baruch Hu whispering in my ear, who doesn't listen to Moshe Rabbeinu whispering in my ear. I could be that kind of person who, when it gets to Vehevesi, I simply check out. Not for me, but beyond me. I can be a person who suffers from aspirational poverty. Or, I could be a David HaMelech Jew. Ashrei Maskil Eldal. I'm tired of living an impoverished existence. I'm tired of telling my thing, myself I can't do things. I'm tired of telling myself or creating for myself all of the glass ceilings and self-imposed limitations. I have a capacity for greatness. I have an ability not just to see a little bit beyond me in the fog, but even to make, have incredible dreams, goals, and aspirations. I have the ability to make challenges. I have the ability to think big. If I start looking at my personal, personalistic impoverishment and decide to do something about it. David Amal says, that's the choice. That's the choice we each have to make. And Halavai, we should be zochet to choose wisely. Stop over here for tonight. Next week, we're going to continue as well in Kapitol Memalef. Again, a shkwach to everyone.